Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by SiriusXM Canada. SiriusXM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Today, I'm joined by Al of ACA Training. Al, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? How long have you been in the industry? What's your area of expertise? Give us kind of a quick introduction. I started working at my dad's shop when I was probably 15, 16 years old. And when I was 18, in 1974, I started working full-time. I started in an electrical specialty shop. We were rebuilding starters, alternators, and pretty much anything automotive electrical, pretty much stayed in the electrical side of the field after that, uh, worked at a couple of dealerships, worked some other independent shops, sticking with electrical, drivability, AC repairs. Around 1996, I started my own mobile uh, AC business, and that uh, spread into mobile diagnostics and more electronics, and eventually got away from the air conditioning and uh, just ended up doing a lot of troubleshooting and uh, programming mobile programming, mobile uh, diagnostics for other shops. And at one point, uh, I started to do uh, training work for a company called Injectronics Training. And I really liked doing that. So I stuck with that with them for a few years and then moved myself over to uh, Standard Motor Products, where I was a Canadian trainer for about uh, six, seven years. And then went back to working for myself, doing troubleshooting again. And now I'm kind of semi-retired. Probably seen, I mean, such a huge advancement and the diagnostic capabilities uh, and the complexity of them kind of throughout your time. Absolutely. Uh, I know like when I started electrical was, it was kind of a specialized field and a lot of guys didn't want to get into electrical stuff. Uh, the shops where I worked, we primarily did a lot of work for other shops because uh, they were mostly mechanical and they just didn't want to, they didn't want to get involved with the electrical. It took their guys longer. So they thought it was better to send it to a specialty shop. And like you said, through the years, yeah, it's gotten more and more specialized and more uh, more in-depth. There's definitely a lot more electronics involved in the systems now, and that's that just keeps changing. I mean, with the uh, electric vehicles coming on the scene, that's, that's going to be a, a huge game changer for the, for the industry. When hybrids came into being, we just sort of jumped in and, and started working on hybrids, and, and we really didn't take the opportunity to to educate people and say, look, this is an electric, you know, partially electric vehicle and uh, we should be charging more labor. We should be more specialized to work on these things. But we, as techs, we just, we take every challenge in stride. So we just jump in and we, we do whatever needs to be done. And I think we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with hybrids. We, we had a chance to, to split away and call the hybrid side a specialty. I think that's what we need to do with um, electric vehicles is, is make it more specialized so customers understand like this isn't your, you know, as they say, this, this isn't your grandfather's Buick anymore. These are very specialized vehicles and, and it takes a lot of training and a lot of knowledge to work on these things safely. The guys that are willing to put in the time and the shops that are willing to put in the time and the training and the equipment, uh, they, they should be compensated properly for that. Every year with the advent of more and more electronics, uh, the guys become more electronic engineers than they do mechanics. We, we still have to deal with the mechanical side, absolutely. That's never really gonna go away. It's become more and more electronics and electrical and, and it's become more specialized and the guys really need to try and keep up with that. Well, they absolutely do. And it's actually funny, I don't know if you saw, but Canada just 
banned the sale of internal combustion engine powered vehicles starting in 2035, I believe. Well, it's funny too. I mean, it sounds like such a 2035 so far in the future, but I have to keep reminding myself it's not the year 2000 anymore. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're 21 now, so it's really only 14 years away, which which isn't a long time when you figure that they've got a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built up. I mean, our whole industry is really going to change if you think oh, about it. Absolutely. Everyone has to pivot entirely. Yeah, that's why I say, I mean, it, it's just a good opportunity to to kind of split away and and make electric vehicles a specialty. I mean, if you if you take your car to, to a Tesla service center, I mean, it's it's nothing at all like our places. I mean, uh, myself and a couple of shop owners, we were um, just coming back from from a late dinner. We we saw a Tesla service center, and they were closed. But I mean, we stopped in, and and I mean, you, you could see inside the shop. It was just night and day. I mean, even you know, like a typical dealership is, is I won't say it's it's cleaner or more organized, but it's you know, it's it's more geared towards the customer, the appearance, you know, more than anything else. But that Tesla workshop was just, it was amazing. I mean, you could eat off the floors. It was just, it's, it's night and day difference. And well, they, it's all, they almost look like they're out of the future a little bit. I yeah, mean, I mean, they've got the right idea. It's customer service, like the customer's perception, you know. That's what we need to to work on as an industry is, is the perception that customers or, you know, general public has of, of our trade, you know. We're, we're not grease monkeys. We're not mechanics for the most part anymore. We're doing more electrical and electronic stuff than we are basic mechanical work but everybody seems to think oh it's just a car anybody can fix it you know as long as we got all these guys that are you know willing to work from their backyard or the shop owners who figure that you know uh, the technicians are just a commodity you know, this this guy doesn't want to work for me he wants more money the, the guy behind him will come and work for 10 bucks an hour or whatever it is you know that's not the way it is it, it, you have to have the training the guys have to do the training and get the specialized it's it's a lot involved i mean you can't just plunk somebody down and say fix that car but that's what a lot of shops expect. And it's not shops, it's the shop owners. I mean, it's just maybe a handful of, you know, what we'll see are bad shop owners. And and they expect anybody that they hire to be able to do anything. And it's it's not how it is. And, and, and building on that, I, I would actually expand your point. And I would say it's not even just shop owners, but it's oh, no, no. the general it's public too, which is something else yeah. I wanted to kind of get your take on. I mean, it, Techs, mechanics, whatever you want to call them, grease monkeys, throughout throughout the years, they've had this sort of implied association of being very blue-collar, unintelligent. Why do you think that's persisting so much, even with the advancement? Cars now are more computer than engines. Um, and the typical typical uh, modern vehicle, like anything built in the last five years, especially the, that's that's more a rolling computer than it is a car. It is, it's still got the mechanical components. We still have to deal with the mechanical side of it. There's so much electronics on that vehicle that in in the article that I wrote for Christine there, I mean, I, I made the point, a simple thing like an oil change, like any any kid can do an oil change. Well, now that kid has to know how to do the uh, the service re, uh, life reset, and then sometimes that involves a scan tool. And sometimes it needs to be the factory scan tool when you start getting into high-end Euro stuff. So it's not just a matter of drop the filter, you know, drain the pan and refill it and out the door. It's a lot more involved for a simple thing like an oil change. It's crazy how even the most basic of services, I mean, you're absolutely right. They need now to be either like reflashed or they need to be yeah. you know, reset in some way. No, yeah. it was, but with all that being said, I mean, do you think that's why, do you think ignorance maybe on the part of the consumer is part of the reason that yes. the, the, the sort of the negative, I don't want to say negative stereotype, but the stereotype that people have of techs is what it is. 
Yeah, I believe that. That's that's the biggest thing. My, my point here is we, we need to educate the public. Uh, they, they don't understand. They have no idea what's involved. Uh, you know, if you take your vehicle in, they, they take it in for a tire rotation, and then they're told that it's going to take a while because they have to uh, reset all the TPMS sensors. Well, why do you have to do that? Like, what are you guys talking about? Why are you charging me so much money for this? It's, it's not us that are putting these systems in place in the vehicle. It's the manufacturer. And to, to, you know, to, to give credit to the manufacturer, a lot of this is mandated by the government. It's safety stuff like TPMS. The government said you have to put these sensors in there so we know when a tire goes low. They don't want it in there any more than the consumer does. And it's there and we have to deal with it and we have to have the tools to do the resets. It, takes yeah, time. It, it, makes our, it makes our job harder. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't want to do it either. <laughs> yeah, we're at, we're at the bottom of the we're at the bottom of the pile. Like we have to deal with all the stuff that's on the vehicle that we, we have no control. We we have no control over what gets added to the vehicle at the factory. But once it's there, we have to deal with it and we have to pass that on to the customer. And the customer gets mad at us because why is it taking so long and why does it cost so much to do this? And if if you if you tell them, well, it's the manufacturer that's done this, then they think you're just passing the buck, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a catch twenty two situation. There's no real easy way. I mean, out of any of this. Now, kind of building on my last question, BC just um, re reinitialized the mandatory certification for skilled trades, and I, they're the last promise to do so. I think they've. They haven't had a protocol in place for 17 years since 03, I think. So, what's your take on the reinitialization of, or the sort of reincarnation of this program to make uh, it, it federal? I think we should all be certified, all the trades. Uh, you know, most provinces. I, I would say most. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's most provinces. There, there are mandatory trades or compulsory trades, like electricians, plumbers. Um, it's mandatory. It's a compulsory, however they want to put it. You have to be certified in order to work in those trades. You can't go onto a job site unless you're a registered uh, apprentice or, or a journeyman. And it's all all down to um, to safety for the most part. I mean, there's there's a lot of risk involved with these trades, not just to the, to the tradesperson, but to the end user, like an electrician. If an electrician doesn't know what they're doing and isn't following code, it could cause a fire. It could burn somebody's house down. They need to know what they're doing. Well, to take an extreme example, it would be almost be like saying, you know, you're about to be operated on and the surgeon isn't licensed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't exactly. want to hear that. I didn't want to cut through all the red tape to go to school and learn all this stuff. So I just <laughs> be a doctor. You know? I watched a YouTube video and then here we are. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, now that you mentioned the YouTube thing, that that's another another thorn in the side because so many customers come in and, well, oh, I watched it on YouTube and this is what you have to do. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, and, it's one thing if you're changing a headlight. It's another thing if you're, you know, doing well, some work. You, know, you mentioned headlights. It's been that way for a few years now. Uh, a friend of mine, he was a, a salesman for a parts company, and he retired, and he bought himself a new vehicle. And when he bought it, he wanted to know about it. So he went through the whole owner's manual, page like right through the front to back, he come over to my place, car's like brand new, and he showed me, oh, how would I change a headlight on this thing? And I'm looking like, well, I know the bulbs go in from the back, so I guess you'd have to get in here and take this battery out and do this and do that. And he says, no, no. He says, I checked the owner's manual, and there's a little flapper compartment in the back in the wheel well that comes off, and you can reach in and change the bulb. If you didn't know that, you know, if this is a new car. If you didn't know that, 
you would look at it from the top like we normally did. This is what I have to take out just to access that bulb. Customer reads the uh, owner's manual and says, no, no, yeah, that's not right. Now we've got customers saying, well, I watched a YouTube video and this guy, you know, he did this and that and, and it's a lot easier. That may be, but a lot of those YouTube videos are edited and they don't show you all the steps. Yeah, they don't show you the 17 times before that they screwed up and <laughs> almost blew themselves up. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the YouTube, I mean, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing for, for guys like, you know, if you're working on a car you're not familiar with, hey, go find a YouTube video and uh, and watch somebody dig that part out, you know. Well, that's where that part is. Okay, now I'll go looking for it because we've all, we all need, we don't all have, but we need service information of some sort. And without that, you're lost and, and even more so now. Without yeah, service well, information. It's, like, it's like any kind of technology. It's good and bad, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. through technology, we're able to record this podcast. But on the other hand, I mean, you and me were emailing back and forth at 8.30 p.m. last night. So you're always kind of connected to. But it's, it's, it's like you say, it's like any any technology. And, and the thing is, I, I could say any new technology, but it's technology in general. If you've never seen it before, the technology might be 10 years old. But if you've never worked on it, it's new to you. And if you don't understand how it works, you can run into all kinds of trouble, whether it's, you know, trying to do a podcast or uh, just, you know, just trying to trying to access your email or get, open up a new email account or something like that. You get a vehicle come in the shop and you're working on a system you've never worked on before. You better spend some time in service information and figure out how that system works before you get too deep into it. Because without a good understanding of how a system works, how can you fix it? I've told guys many times, if, if you don't understand how a system works, you don't know what good looks like, how do you know it's bad? How do you know that system isn't working properly if you don't know how it's supposed to work? <laughs> you know? And there are so many things like we ran into issues for years. Manufacturers decided that they would computer control uh, a starter. So what they did was they made the engine computer in control of the starter relay. So when you turned the key and the ignition, all you really did was sent a, a low voltage signal, a message over to the body or to the uh, engine computer and said, hey, I want to start the car. And then the computer would supply a ground to the relay and the engine would crank over. Computer would watch and when it saw enough RPM signal, it said, oh yeah, this engine's running, I'll, I'll turn off the relay. But if it didn't start, it would continue to crank for you know a few seconds. It's generally you know three, four, five seconds, like something like that, and then it'll stop on its own. But if a customer didn't know that, they bump the key and they release it, and the engine continues to crank until it starts, they think there's something wrong with their car. Right. They come in and say, but it keeps turning after I let go of the key. Then you got to explain to them that's how this system works. And that's just one simple one. I mean, there's other systems. If you don't understand proper operation, it can look like there's a problem. And you could spend hours trying to fix a problem that doesn't even exist because you don't understand how the system works. Owners and, and customers, especially, they get upset because they look in the shop through the window there. And, and the, the guy who's supposed to be working on my car, he's standing in front of a computer looking at uh, uh, YouTube videos or whatever else. He's supposed to be fixing my car. Well, he's over there in service information. <laughs> looking at proper operation for that system or trying to find out where that, that component is on the vehicle so he doesn't tear half the car apart looking for it. Right. Five minutes on the computer can save him an hour on the car, but all people see is, why is he standing there in front of a computer instead of working on my car? <laughs> yeah, well, I say, I mean, imagine someone was watching you do your job all day. I mean, I'm sure they would get frustrated too. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's just like anything else. Uh, you know, uh, if you don't do the job, you don't understand how the job 
is is done, then you can get upset. Well, why is my doctor? Why when I go to see my doctor, why I have to sit in the waiting room for an hour when I made an appointment for three o'clock? Exactly. Once, exactly. Once you get in there and start talking to him, it's jabber, jabber, jabber. Ask this, ask that, and that's what you're supposed to do. But he can't predict how many questions each person's going to ask. He can't predict, you know, and he's certainly not going to say, okay, I've allotted 15 minutes for you. Your 15 minutes is up. Get out of here. You know? Yeah. (laughs) That's just the way it is. It's like with cars. We, the customer brings it in and well, I just want you to do this or that. You know, I just want you to change that tire. Well, you get that tire off and you find out there's no brakes on the back of the car. Yeah. I mean, that's a, something you have to tell the person, right? You have to investigate. Yeah, and you can't you can't see it till it comes apart. Uh, same with you know, you you diagnose one issue and you get into it, tear the engine down, and find oh yeah, okay, well that's that's bad, but we also found that this is bad now. And then customers, some of them they don't they don't understand like, well you you told me it was this, and now suddenly you're finding more stuff like that's not right. Yeah, yeah. Like, there are a number of shops I've, I've seen over the years, a few shops that will actually videotape the job while they're doing it. And if the customer wants, they can show them the tape. One guy had essentially had a live feed in the sh- in the service bay, and when he's working on the car, customer can sit in the in the waiting room and watch on the screen live. He can see him as he's working on his car, taking it apart, doing what he's doing. I would absolutely hate that for myself. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I used to just hate when customers wanted to sit and watch. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I'm not trying to hide anything, but <laughs> it just bothers me that you're standing there. Well, let, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but I do want to ask you one more question before I yeah. let you go. With the current state of the aftermarket, what is one thing, if you had a magic potion or a or a I genie, what was one thing that you would change in the aftermarket? I was hoping we'd get to that because it's been a thorn in my side for many years. And I've, I've, I've written about it a couple of times and, and I have a lot of other people who agree with me, but I don't think it's ever going to change. But what we would like to see is part suppliers, whether it's aftermarket or OE, have part suppliers not sell safety related components to someone unless they're certified. Don't, don't sell it to you know the guy who's doing his brake job in his, in his driveway. If he doesn't know what he's doing and, and he messes up that brake job, he goes out on the road and he could kill somebody. You know, it, it's that's not even exaggerating. I mean, if, if he does something wrong, jumps in that car and he's going down the highway and hits the pedal and he's got no brakes and runs into someone, that could be fatal. If, yeah, well, the, the, the obvious sort of a trap you'd fall into there would be eating into the DIY market, right? I mean, there's a lot of oh, yeah. people who can replace their brakes, no problem. But again, it's it, it's kind of a gray, weird yeah. area there. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you, you look at, uh, like my son, for example, rewired his whole basement. He did it himself. He got the code book, talked to other electricians, did everything. But somebody had to come out and inspect all the work that he did before they turned the power on. And that's reasonable. Or, or maybe just bring in mandatory safety inspections, like, you know, not not a full-blown inspection, but you know, just check a lot of the safety stuff every two years, three years or something like that to keep a vehicle on the road. Yeah, especially at, maybe after it reaches a certain age, maybe seven, yeah. eight years old kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating when I worked at the dealership, we had customers come in, a guy bought a brand new uh, Acadia in, in uh, BC, drove it to Manitoba, it's got, you know, over many thousand kilometers it was, it was that it took him to drive there to here, and he's got to get a safety inspection here. Thing's still brand new, but it changed provinces, so it has to be inspected. Yeah, that's the red tape of government for you. 
Yeah, but like you said, after a certain age, like if, you know, seven years, 10 years, whatever the number is, absolutely. That vehicle is this old. If you want to keep it on the road, it has to go in for some type of an inspection, you know, every year, every couple of years, whatever the number is. I want to really, really thank you for joining us today. Before I let you go, I do have one final trip up question for you. You know, being car guys, being in the industry, we're all gearheads. We all love vehicles. Yep. What is your all-time favorite car? I would have to say it's it's the one that I'm driving now. I drove uh, domestics. I drove basically GM trucks forever and ever and ever. Uh, my dad was a Ford guy and uh, converted him over to a Chevy truck. So <laughs> for years, I drove GM trucks, and I was very happy with them. A few years ago, I went out. I was getting close to retirement. I wanted something something nice that I could keep for a long time. So I bought myself a BMW. A lot of people said, are you nuts? Why do you want one of those? But you know what? It's the best car I ever bought. It, it just gives me no trouble. Everything is engineered so so well. I just, I just love it. I mean, it's, it's fun to drive. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to Sirius XM Canada for being our title sponsor. Today, we're also sponsored by Apex, the Automotive Aftermarket Parts Exposition, the annual Apex show in Las Vegas this November. It's where the industry meets face-to-face with current partners and new suppliers to discuss products. Take three days to get up to speed on changing standards and technology to handle your customers' toughest challenges. Stay on top of new trends and gain actionable insights to enhance company culture and your management style. For more information and to register, visit www.apexshow.com.